We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 421 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, October 14th, 2022, the day after a commander's win that felt like a loss. (laughs) Uh, It is true that a win is a win, okay? That is true. Uh, It is true that an ugly win is a win. There's no disputing that. But it also can be true that a win can feel like a loss. Uh, The commander's win on Thursday night felt like a loss, but it was a win. Uh, The commanders, the Durs, the Mandos, call them what you want, uh, they now are 2-4 and in this 2022 NFL regular season. A 12-7 win at the Chicago Bears on Thursday night football. Washington won at Chicago 12-7 on Thursday night. Joey Manessis hit a three-run homer and had a two-run double. A work of art, this game was not. A thing of beauty, this game was not. Uh, The Commanders finished with just 214 total net yards of offense, went just 2 of 11 on third downs, but won. Uh, Corner of Benjamin St. Juice, shades of legendary Redskin safety, Ken Houston, Next to last snap of the game, fourth and goal at the four, tackling receiver Darnell Mooney on what ended up being a three-yard reception. St. Juice pushed a leaping Mooney out of the end zone as he bobbled the ball and making the catch. That was some play by Benjamin St. Juice, but uh, oh, that game on Thursday night, uh, well, that was only part of the commander story on Thursday. Hello and welcome to a special Friday Commander's post-game show installment of the Al Galdi podcast. What a day Thursday ended up being for us as Commander's fans, and not in a good way. Uh, Thursday morning, a monster report from ESPN on Commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder. Then later on Thursday morning, a report from NFL Network and NFL.com on benched Commander's corner, William Jackson the third wanting to be traded. 
And then came an actual game on Thursday night. Oh, yeah, there was a game. Uh, Next segment, I'm going to talk about quarterback Carson Wentz and the commander's offense off what went down in the win at the Bears on Thursday night. I'll then talk commander's defense, which did do some very good things on Thursday night. And yes, I also will address this William Jackson, the third situation. And then I'm going to spend a lot of time on the ESPN report. We as fans of the team now known as the commanders, of course, have become so used to reports about the owner and reports about the team. Uh, But this report was like a master's thesis, okay? The report is lengthy. Uh, There is so much to the report. There is so much in the report. And the report had commander's head coach Ron Rivera furious last night. One of the key aspects of the report is the report saying that Dan Snyder was behind the commander's trading for Carson Wentz. Yeah, that's in the report. Well, take a listen to these exchanges toward the end of Ron's postgame press conference late night on Thursday night. This happened late in the night, but you definitely need to be aware of this. You will hear Ron end the press conference, cut short the presser, and then storm out. Here you go. Al Michaels on the broadcast mentioned Dan Snyder and said what the league would love is for him to sell the team. He's become a major problem around the league, obviously. That was his quote during the broadcast. Okay. So I'm wondering, I know obviously you didn't hear that because you're coaching. Right. How, how, throughout today, how did you hear that news? Did it affect you? Um, no, because the truth of the matter is it's not important to me. Okay, what's important to me is the guys in the room, and that's something I've been trying to establish. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get beyond all this stuff that's on the outside that's noise as far as I'm concerned. What I'm focusing on is the development of this football team. There's a group of young men in there that deserve better, okay, in terms of they they should be acknowledged for what they've done, what they're doing. I don't want to get talking about something that I can't control anyways. I I have no input. I I have nothing to do with that. What I want to do is everything in that room, and that's what I wish we could just stay focused on. And it's difficult. It's hard. But for whatever reason... We're going to stick to what's interesting, and that's playing football for our guys. Ron, you sound more fired up about, you've given similar answers in the past about this, but you seem more fired up now. Is it just to think about the circumstances? The way- no, what's important is these guys, okay? For the last couple of weeks, honestly, I'm going to, I'm going to speak my mind for a second. For Honestly, uh, it's been hard. It really has. You lose four games in a row, and everybody wants to get you, you know, just get on you. And they've played their asses off. They have. They've played their asses off for everybody. They come out, and they show up. They work hard. All right, they don't complain, okay? They hear all the stuff and they got to deal with it. I get that and I respect them for that because they're resilient. They come back. Everybody keeps wanting to say, I didn't want anything to do with Carson. Well, I'm the guy that pulled out the sheets of paper, that looked at the analytics, that watched the tape in the freaking when we were at Indianapolis, okay? And that's what pisses me off because the young man doesn't deserve to have that all the time. I'm sorry, I'm done. So how'd you like that? from Ron Rivera. How'd you like late night Ron on Thursday night? Don Ron livid during his post-game press conference late night on Thursday night, or at least pretending to be livid. You know, I do think it's possible that he was putting on a show, putting on a front to try to fire up his team, to try to galvanize his team off a big win, you know, make this a rallying cry. Everyone's against us. We got to come together. I wouldn't be stunned if that was what was behind what we just heard from Ron Rivera. But whatever the case, what a week this has been 
for Rod Rivera press conferences, right? Monday afternoon, the one-word answer of quarterback from Ron during his day after the game press conference. Tuesday afternoon, a very contrite Rod Rivera during a post-practice press conference. Now, Thursday night, an irate Rod Rivera during a post-game press conference. Anyway, a ton for you on the Commanders on this show. I will do Goldilocks for college football week seven, previews and picks for Maryland at Indiana Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Number 25, James Madison at Georgia Southern Saturday afternoon at four, as yes, the Dukes have joined the ranks of Goldilocks now that the Dukes are ranked. Uh, Virginia Tech home to Miami Saturday afternoon at 12.30 and Navy at SMU Friday night at 7.30. And I will talk Capitals off another loss for them, a 3-2 loss at the Toronto Maple Leafs on Thursday night. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback on the commander's win that uh, felt like a loss at the Bears on Thursday night. Tweet from Chris F. writes, Chris, very lucky in soccer parlance, the Bears were the better side, but didn't get the result. Tweet from Redskin J2099 writes J, going to regret this win come draft order time. Tweet from Rob Bailey writes Rob, I love the sell the team chant as Brian Robinson is being interviewed on Prime. Uh, yes, uh, that was quite the thing after the game, running back Brian Robinson Jr. being interviewed on Amazon Prime and very audible chance of sell the team. Uh, were heard. I mean, look, this Dan Snyder thing was all over the place. Al Michaels, the play-by-play man for Amazon Prime, during the game gave his opinion that Dan Snyder needs to sell the commanders. I mean, how often do you get that? The play-by-play guy opining not on the football, but on the owner of one of the football teams. Uh, Email from Dr. CCB, writes the good doctor. Good evening, Goldie. The skins are so frustrating to watch. Tonight, the defense played pretty well, and the offense was stagnant once again. And Joey Sly, he's a bum. He could have potentially put the game away with a made field goal to put the skins up 15-7, but he missed. Special teams still aren't producing anything on kickoff and punt returns. The two turnovers were a plus, but the Bears lost this game just as much as the Skins won the game. I love the rookie Brian Robinson Jr. and Benjamin St. Juice's special. Tress Way is the constant MVP, but the offense is very puzzling. With all of the weapons, I thought that the offense would be more explosive, but clearly that is not the case. Just so frustrating. I'm happy for the win. Glad the commanders have a few days to rest, but they have major work to do in preparation for the Packers. Thank you for the email, Dr. CCB. Uh, Yeah, I know that Green Bay hasn't exactly been perfect so far this season, but no doubt if the commanders have any hope of beating the Pack, uh, you got to do better than what we saw on Thursday night, certainly from a passing offense standpoint. Email from Dan M. writes, Dan, Al, I'm sending this email after Carson Wentz sailed that incomplete pass to a double-covered Diami Brown because, hey, it worked last week. I can't believe what I'm watching here. These are the plays that the team scripted. These were the we-have-to-get-off-to-a-fast-start bangers that the team came up with. Robinson (laughs) up the middle. Robinson up the middle. Try a pass that worked last week. Punt, repeat. This is the most boring brand of football in the league. It's borderline unwatchable. That's all. Take care, man. Thank you for the email, Dan. I hear you, bro. I hear you. 
Uh, I hear you on that throw from Carson to Diami too. Uh, that play felt like it had zero chance of working. As soon as that ball left Carson's hand, I was like, this has no chance. And sure enough, the play had no chance. Uh, the commanders have a lot of problems right now. We know that. And uh, I don't know if the problems are going to get fixed. I am hopeful, but it's hard to be super optimistic right now that the problems are going to get fixed. Well, if you have any skin problems, uh, always know that Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Whatever your dermatological needs may be, call 301 396 3401, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Dr. George Verghese is a big Commanders fan. He's a loyal listener of this podcast, and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland focus on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. If you're dealing with allergic reactions, if you're dealing with acne, psoriasis, or eczema, if you're interested in procedures like Botox, laser hair removal, or chemical peels, if you are dealing with skin cancer or have dealt with skin cancer or want to get screened for skin cancer, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Heck, Dr. Verghese and the Institute offer free skin cancer screenings in addition to offering advanced treatments for many skin cancers, including treatments that many other practices do not offer, like SRT, which is superficial radiation therapy. To find out more, call 301 396 3401. That's 301-396-3401. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. But call 301-396-3401. You can also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. For excellent and comprehensive skincare, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Do not forget to give the podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And if you are really feeling generous, uh, please write a brief review saying that you like the podcast. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. The Commander's four-game losing streak is over. It may not feel like the losing streak is over, but the losing streak is over. A 12-7 win at the Chicago Bears on Thursday Night Football. Commander's now 2 and four. There were positives for the Commanders. I'll get to the positives in a bit. But the primary reason that this was a win that felt like a loss was the Commanders passing game, which was hideous for a third time in four games. The Commanders running game ended up being all right, but the passing game was really bad. Uh, the Commanders finished the game with 86 net yards passing. Yes, 86 Net yards passing in the year 2022, not 1922, 2022, the Commanders win a game in which they had 86 net yards passing. Uh, Quarterback Carson Wentz not being on the Commanders beyond this season is feeling more and more inevitable, isn't it? I mean, we during the offseason heard a ton about the highs and lows of Carson. What we're seeing this season are too few highs and too many lows. He at times has played well, and I've given him full credit when he has played well. But here now, we had Carson on Thursday night bad for a third time in four games, as in like really bad for a third time 
in four games. Now, he was banged up, so perhaps, you know, you cut him some slack. I think you probably should cut him some slack because of the state of his body. I mean, he really was banged up. He had three things going on over the course of this game. But Carson finished with horrible numbers. And even if he was feeling great physically, I'm not sure that the numbers would have been like that much better. Like he just is off at times in terms of like some games he's good and some games he's really bad. And in three of the last four games, he has been bad. Uh, Carson on Thursday night completed just 12 of his 22 pass attempts. He over his 22 pass attempts threw for just 99 yards. I mean, think about that. 99 yards over 22 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 4.5. That is a microscopic yards per pass attempt. He had no touchdown passes. He quarterbacked a commander's offense that scored just 12 points, went just 2 of 11 on third downs. The commanders now, over their last two games, are 3 of 22 on third downs. I mean, if you're going to be getting that kind of production from your quarterback, you might as well have Sam Howell playing quarterback for you. You know, at least Sam is a young player with upside who can be learning. Carson Wentz on Thursday night was inaccurate on way too many pass attempts. Boy, was he off on throws to running back J.D. McKissick for whatever reason. Commander's second offensive drive. This was the drive that started at the Commander's six off interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen with a first quarter interception. Yes, the Commanders in this game got themselves a takeaway on defense, just the second takeaway of the 2022 regular season for the Commanders. But this drive resulted in an early second quarter punt, the fifth snap of the drive, the first snap of the second quarter. Carson way off on a second and five shotgun incompletion intended for J.D. McKissick. The Commanders' fourth offensive drive resulted in a second quarter punt, Fourth snap of that drive, Carson way off while being pressured on a third and four shotgun incompletion intended for McKissick. Commander's fifth offensive drive resulted in kicker Joey Sly's 38-yard field goal with 46 seconds left in the second quarter for a 3-0 Commander's lead. Fourth snap of the drive, Carson way off on a first and 10 shotgun incompletion intended for McKissick. Uh, Carson Wentz on Thursday night took three sacks. One of them did seem to be on Carson. Uh, we'll see what the film ends up showing, but Commander six offensive drive was the opening drive of the second half, resulted in a third quarter punt, the fifth snap of the drive on a third and two for the Commanders at their 44. Carson on an attempted shotgun play action scramble took a sack for a zero yard loss. I mean, he just did not seem to handle that play very well. There was good from Carson on Thursday night. I do want to credit him for this. I mean, the Commanders did win the game. He did not commit a turnover, so thumbs up on that. Uh, he again displayed toughness, you know, and I do think he deserves a good bit of credit for this. He was banged up going into the game, got even more banged up as the game went on, but he hung in there tough. Heck, he threw another block in this game. So Carson in the days leading up to the game was listed as dealing with a right shoulder ailment, but NFL insider Tom Pelissero of NFL Network and NFL.com on Thursday morning reported that Carson was dealing with a right biceps tendon strain that he suffered in a loss to the Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field last Sunday afternoon. Now, I don't know if he was dealing with a right shoulder thing and a right biceps tendon thing, or if the right shoulder thing was the way that the right biceps tendon thing was being labeled because you will see NFL teams mislabel injuries uh, actually quite a bit 
on injury reports. But anyway, we had that with Carson going into the game. Then Carson in the first half of the game hurt his right hand and for a good chunk of the rest of the game was tending to the hand, you know, shaking it, putting it in the warmer that he has attached to him, like just trying to get the hand right. And then Carson on the final snap of the third quarter hurt his right ankle on a two-yard pistol read option run on a second and goal at the seven. Uh, he had the right ankle tended to in the game. Uh, and then Carson later in the game threw a block, an impressive block for a second consecutive game. Commander's ninth offensive drive started at the Bears' six off corner. Kristen Holmes recovering a muff catch by receiver Valus Jones Jr. on a Tressway punt. First snap of the drive on a first and goal at the six, running back Brian Robinson Jr., a five-yard pistol handoff run on which he made a great cut to the outside and on which Carson Wentz threw a great block on linebacker Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith is one of the best linebackers in the NFL. Carson Wentz floored Roquan Smith with that block. He was Carson during his postgame press conference late night on Thursday night on the block. Yeah, I, I mean, shoot, that's back-to-back weeks now. I don't know. B-Rob must like to bounce the backside. I don't know. Um, it's not planned by any means, but especially when you're down there in the goal line and it was an ugly game, like, I'm going to do anything I can to help help this team get in the end zone. And um, Yeah, it was, that was fun, I guess. I don't know. Hopefully I'm not making a living doing it, though. Yeah, remember what happened in the loss to the Titans last Sunday afternoon. Third quarter, Bride Robinson Jr., a second and 10, six-yard under center handoff run that featured a great block by Carson Wentz. Uh, this block on linebacker David Long Jr., uh, who, yes, ended up intercepting Carson on the next to last snap of the game. Uh, also, Carson on Thursday night displayed toughness in taking three more sacks. You know, the pass protection continued to be an issue for the commanders to at least some extent, you know, overall the offensive line was better in the game, but Commander's first offensive drive resulted in a first quarter three and out, third snap of the drive on a third and seven for the Commanders at their 26. Defensive back Jaquan Brisker came in unblocked on a sack of Carson Wentz for an eight-yard loss. I mean, he had no chance on that play. Commander's second offensive drive resulted in an early second quarter punt, the sixth snap of that drive, and the second snap of the second quarter. Third and five for the Commanders at their 29. Linebacker Roquan Smith came straight through the middle, ran through center Tyler Larson and right guard Sadiq Charles for a sack of Carson for a five-yard loss. Uh, and we should mention this, Carson had the bad numbers, yes, but he was denied a touchdown pass to receiver Curtis Samuel thanks to a drop, a really bad drop. A commander's fifth offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's 38-yard field goal with 46 seconds left in the second quarter. Sixth snap of the drive, Curtis Samuel, a drop on a Carson Wentz first and 10 deep shotgun completion that should have resulted in a touchdown. I mean, that should have been another big passing play for Carson Wentz this season. And then later in the drive, Curtis Samuel had another drop. Ninth snap of the drive, Curtis a drop on a Carson Wentz second and six shotgun incompletion. You know, something that's becoming an increasing issue for the commanders is the play of their receivers. They have not been overly impressive lately. And maybe the team is really missing Jahan Dodson. You know, he on Thursday night was inactive for a second consecutive game due to a hamstring injury that he suffered in the loss at the Dallas Cowboys in week four. But, you know, we are not seeing the best of Curtis Samuel and Terry McLaurin right now. They're not getting open nearly enough. And in Curtis's case, uh, he had two bad drops on Thursday night. Uh, but with Carson, what about this right hand issue? 
Uh, here he was on that during his postgame press conference late night on Thursday night, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commanders insider Ben Standig of The Athletic. It's a little sore, um, but I think I'll be all right. Uh, I hit it on a helmet. I don't know what it was, second quarter maybe. Um, and the chilly conditions didn't necessarily help the, the jam fingers, but uh, it was all right. I was doing all right. Have a, uh, an x-ray or ember or something like that? I will. I will. Naturally, that'll all take care, but I think I'll be okay. All right. Well, we can at least say this. Carson Wentz in his regular season career now is 7-0 and in games on Thursdays. You know how former Redskins quarterback Kirk Cousins is the anti-Mr. Monday Night? Well, Carson Wentz is Mr. Thursday. Okay, we do have that going for him. 7-0 and in his regular season NFL career in games on Thursdays. All right, later in the show, I am going to go in-depth on the bombshell report from ESPN on Thursday morning on Commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder. Included in that report is the following regarding the Commander's trade for Carson this past March. Quote, sources familiar with the deal say that it was Snyder who pushed for Wentz And Commander's football staffers have told people around the league as much. It was 100% a Dan move, says a source with knowledge of the inner workings of the deal. End quote. Uh, I have a few things that I want to play for you from Carson Wentz regarding this. Uh, So first of all, Carson, during his postgame press conference late night on Thursday night, was asked for a reaction to this item that Dan Snyder was the one who drove for the commanders to trade for Carson. Here was Carson's reaction during the press conference. Yeah, I was just informed that that would be asked in here, um, and I have no idea what, quite frankly, was being reported or discussed, talked about. Um, you guys know me. I don't I don't read. I don't see a lot of that sort of stuff, so I can't really have an opinion on it um, any, any, anyway. All right, so that was Carson Wentz's reaction. That's actually like the perfect reaction. You have no reaction. You say that you are unfamiliar with the report, and that may well be true. You know, I wouldn't be stunned if, in fact, Carson Wentz had not read the report. Uh, Here's something else for you. Carson Wentz, during his postgame press conference late night on Thursday night, on Ron Rivera. Uh, This has been quite the week, right, in the Ron Carson scenario. Uh, Ron during his day-after-the-game press conference on Monday afternoon with the now-infamous one-word answer of quarterback. Ron, during his post-practice press conference on Tuesday afternoon, uh, apologetic for that one-word answer. Uh, We, on Thursday morning, had the bombshell ESPN report on Dan Snyder saying that Dan was the driver for the commanders to trade for Carson Wentz. Ron, during his post-game press conference late night on Thursday night, livid about that report. And so here was Carson during his postgame presser late night on Thursday night on Ron Rivera. Well, yeah, I mean, Coach Rivera, is, he's awesome. You know, I've had a ton of respect for him um, playing in this league for a while from afar, um, but getting to play for him um, is even better. It's definitely special, and he's someone, someone that I respect, and he's going to speak his mind, and he's going to be very direct and to the point. And, and in this business, that's, that means a lot. And I think guys love that about him, and, and he's going he's gonna to be straight up and uh, very motivational. Guys respond to him really well, and um, I have a lot of respect for him. I'm appreciative of him uh, for, what, for what he's done for me. All right. At least publicly, Carson Wentz continues to say all of the right things, continues to take the high road. 
Uh, a few other things on the commander's offense on Thursday night. I mentioned the running game. Took a while to get going, but it did get going. Uh, running backs Brian Robinson Jr., Antonio Gibson, and J.D. McKissick combined for 24 carries for 115 yards and a touchdown. I, on Thursday's show, episode 420, talked about the Bears' run defense not having been very good so far this season. Uh, The Commanders ended up getting to that Bears' run defense. I mean, Robinson, Gibson, and McKissick combined for 24 for a buck 15 and a touchdown, 4.79 yards per carry. Brian Robinson Jr., 17 carries for 60 yards and a touchdown. He was not targeted in the passing game, but he had some quality runs in this game. Commander's ninth offensive drive started at the Bears' six off corner. Kristen Holmes recovering that muff catch by receiver Bayless Jones Jr. on a Tressway punt. First snap of the drive, first and goal at the six. Brian Robinson Jr., five-yard pistol handoff run. Second snap of the drive, Brian Robinson Jr., fourth quarter, second and goal, one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run for a 12-7 Commanders lead. Uh, Commanders went for two and failed. Uh, Carson ended up throwing the ball away on a shotgun pass, but still, Robinson, two big runs there. Uh, The next offensive drive for the Commanders did result in Joey Sly's late fourth quarter missed 48-yard field goal attempt, but the first snap of the drive, first and 10 for the Commanders at their 48, Brian Robinson Jr., a 16-yard shotgun handoff run. Uh, Antonio Gibson, limited work on Thursday night, but he made the most of his work. He had five carries for 35 yards and had three receptions for 18 yards on four targets. Gibson was key on the commander's seventh offensive drive. Uh, This drive resulted in Joey Sly's early fourth quarter 28-yard field goal to cut the commander's deficit to 7-6. Second snap of the drive, Gibson a third quarter, first and 10, 18-yard under center handoff run. Fourth snap of the drive, Carson Wentz a third quarter, second and five, eight-yard shotgun play action completion to Gibson. Sixth snap of the drive, Gibson a third quarter, second and seven, nine-yard shotgun handoff run. And J.D. McKissick on Thursday night, two carries for 20 yards, no receptions on three targets. Commander's fifth offensive drive resulted in the Joey Sly 38-yard field goal with 46 seconds left in the second quarter. Seventh snap of the drive, McKissick a first and 10, 16-yard shotgun handoff run. So the running game ended up getting going, and this, of course, was due in part to the commander's offensive line. I thought that the commander's offensive line was better in this game, and perhaps not so coincidentally, this was off another change for the commander's offensive line. Tyler Larson, and not Nick Martin, was the commander's starting center on Thursday night. You know, I wondered about this during Monday's show, episode 417. Well, we got the change on Thursday night. Uh, the commander's starting offensive line was Charles Leno Jr. at left tackle, Andrew Norwell at left guard, Tyler Larson at center, Sadiq Charles at right guard, and Cornelius Lucas at right tackle. Uh, the commanders this past Saturday activated Larson off the reserve physically unable to perform list. He had been on that since August 23rd uh, due to a torn Achilles that he suffered in the loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field last December 12th. Larson in the loss to the Titans this past Sunday afternoon did not play on any of the commander's offensive snaps, but did play on special teams. So presumably he could have started at center for the commanders in that game. Instead, Nick Martin was the commander's starting center and he struggled. He committed a second quarter, second and 10, five yard full start penalty, committed a fourth quarter, first and 10, 10 yard illegal use of hands penalty and was guilty of three bad shotgun snaps that resulted in three fumbles being charged to Carson Wentz. Uh, But yeah, 
better play at center on Thursday night. Uh, as best as I could tell, no issues with shotgun snaps or pistol snaps. Uh, the commander's offensive line on Thursday night, no penalties off having committed five accepted penalties in each of the previous two games. Don't get me wrong. There still are issues and concerns with this offensive line, okay? But given the horrendous offensive line play that we had been seeing, I did think that what we saw on Thursday night was a step forward. The offensive line, though, does remain an issue. I don't know how you can look at things any other way. Well, has losing weight been an issue for you? Uh, If the answer is yes, Dr. Matthew Mintz can help you. Dr. Matthew Mintz is a board-certified internal medicine physician and weight loss expert in Bethesda, Maryland. Dr. Mintz understands your frustration because he himself has struggled with being overweight. You see, there's a reason that most weight loss programs fail, and that's because the human body has evolved over time to prevent you from losing weight. And while these mechanisms were protective hundreds of years ago, today these mechanisms just make weight loss extremely difficult. Well, the solution is medical weight loss. By using prescription medications that fight the factors that prevent weight loss, Dr. Mintz will help you achieve your weight loss goals. And not only will you lose the weight, but you'll keep the weight off. And while you may have tried weight loss medications in the past, there now are newer medications that are not only safe and effective, but also can achieve nearly the same weight loss as surgery. You see, Dr. Mintz does not use powders, shakes, or other special foods that you need to purchase. Instead, he uses prescription medications and personalized lifestyle changes and he'll give you the support that you need to succeed. Dr. Matthew Mintz's medical weight loss program includes an initial in-person comprehensive evaluation, blood work, and a customized weight loss plan, in-person or virtual follow-up visits to keep you on track, a full year of phone calls and emails to answer questions or troubleshoot problems, and one year of prescription medications for weight loss. The good news is that many, if not all of these things, will be covered by or reimbursable through your insurance. Dr. Matthew Mintz, he has been in practice for over 25 years. He serves as clinical faculty at the George Washington University School of Medicine, and he is consistently ranked as a top doctor by Washingtonian Magazine. He is a huge Commanders fan and a loyal listener of the Al Galdi podcast. If you are ready to lose your excess weight the right way, Find out more about Dr. Matthew Mintz's medical weight loss program by calling 855-646-8963. That's 855-646-8963. And make sure that you tell Dr. Mintz that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit drmintz.com. That's D-R-Mintz, M-I-N-T-Z.com. And click on medical weight loss. That's 855-646-8963 or drmintz.com, and make sure that you tell Dr. Mintz that Al Galdi sent you. If you would like to be a part of the revolution that is the Al Galdi podcast, if you would like to advertise your business or practice on the pod and reach thousands of people every episode, if you would like to put the power of the pod to work for you, hit us up. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. More now on the commanders off them improving to two and four with a 12-7 win at the Chicago Bears on Thursday night football. The commander's defense, it played well on Thursday night. Wasn't perfect, okay, believe me, but overall played well. Now has played at least pretty well in each of the last 
four games. Before, though, we get to the performance of the defense, corner William Jackson III, WJ3. So, William Jackson III on Thursday night was inactive, ostensibly due to a back injury, but there is a lot more to his situation. He did not make the trip with the team of having been benched in the commander's previous game, the loss to the Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field last Sunday afternoon. Jackson in that game played on just 23% of the commander's defensive snaps in the game. Then we on Thursday morning had a report because one report was not enough. The ESPN bombshell report on commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder. No, we needed another report and another report is what we got. Thursday morning, a report from NFL insiders Ian Rappaport, Mike Garofolo, and Tom Pelissero of NFL Network and NFL.com that Jackson wants, quote, a fresh start, preferably with a scheme that he believes better fits him, end quote. Uh, the report added that Jackson wants, quote, a new home, and the commanders have engaged in trade talks centered around him with hopes of making that happen. There has been interest in Jackson from several team sources say with the NFL trade deadline looming on November 1st, the likelihood is that Jackson is traded long before then, end quote. So there's a lot to be thinking about with this. The biggest thing to be thinking about, the complete deterioration of William Jackson III with Washington. Washington in March 2021 signed William Jackson III as an unrestricted free agent to a three-year, $40.5 million contract with $26 million in total guarantees. He had a disappointing 2021 season, although he did play better as the season went on. We heard so much this past offseason and this past training camp and this past preseason, right, about William Jackson III and him feeling more comfortable and the communication in the secondary improving. And, you know, la-di-da, here we go. Year two, going to be a lot better for WJ3 with Washington than year one was. And here we are now. William Jackson III gets benched in the team's fifth game of the regular season and in the hours leading up to the team's sixth game of the regular season, a major report that he wants out. This really is something. This is an absolute whiff by Washington in free agency, the signing of William Jackson III. Uh, Yes, you do have to ask the question of why a guy who excelled in man coverage with the Cincinnati Bengals has been made to play a good bit of zone coverage with Washington. This reeks of, you know, square peg and round hole, something that we have seen Washington do before with failed free agent signees. But I also would say this, the whole man zone thing, that only goes so far, okay? You're an NFL corner. You should be able to play well in both man and zone. And understand, it's not like the commanders never play man coverage. It's not like William Jackson III is never in man coverage. And it's also not like all of his screw-ups have been in zone coverage. He has messed up in man coverage. He's gotten beat in man coverage. So this whole thing isn't as simple as, well, they made him do things that he had never done before, okay? Like, no, there's a little more to the situation than just that. But man, I mean, this is it. You know, and I said this, that I felt like the benching of Jackson in that loss to the Titans, that did not feel like a one-game thing. That felt like the end for William Jackson the third with the commanders. And sure enough, it looks like uh, the end has arrived. 
Uh, it looks like, in fact, he has played his final snap for the Commanders. I mean, I guess we'll see. Things can always change, but they're trying to trade him. He wants out. He didn't even make the trip with the team to Chicago. And the Commanders are going to end up getting pennies on the dollar. I mean, you're not, you're not getting anything big for William Jackson the third, not with the way his last two seasons have gone now, and not with everyone on the planet now knowing that you're trying to get rid of him and that he wants out. Commanders head coach Rod Rivera, late night on Thursday night, had his post-game press conference. Uh, we had the following exchange with Commander's insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com and Ron. William Jackson, there's a report he wanted to be traded. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about that. All right. Ron Rivera back to not giving us much on the William Jackson the third situation. But, you know, at this point, I'm not sure what there is left to say. This has been a total debacle, this signing of William Jackson III. Uh, the good from the commander's defense in this win at the Bears on Thursday night. Well, the commanders held the Bears to just 5 of 13 on third downs. The commanders now are 6 of 6 in the 2022 regular season in terms of doing well in games on third down defense. The commanders now have held opposing teams in this 2022 regular season to combined 26 of 82 on third downs, 31 Uh, The Commanders on Thursday night held the Bears to just one of four on fourth downs, including what ended up being the game-winning play. The Bears' 10th offensive drive resulted in a late fourth-quarter turnover on downs, thanks to what happened on the eighth snap of the drive and the next-to-last snap of the game. Fourth and goal at the four, corner Benjamin St. Juice tackling receiver Darnell Mooney on quarterback Justin Fields' three-yard under-center completion to Mooney as St. Juice pushed a leaping Mooney out of the end zone as he bobbled the ball in making the catch. I know it's hard to get super excited about anything in this game from a commander's perspective. I get that. But that was a really impressive play by Benjamin St. Juice. I mean, give the Juice credit for what he did there. You likey the Juice? I likey the Juice. You like the juice, eh? <laughs> yeah, you know. The juice is good, eh? Yeah, I like that from the juice. Benjamin St. Juice. That was an impressive play that he made in that spot. Uh, the Commanders' pass rush on Thursday night, very good for a second consecutive game. They finished with five sacks and 12 quarterback hits. Edge defender Montez Sweat, excellent for a second straight game. He finished with a sack, four quarterback hits, and two tackles for loss. Uh, Bears' third offensive drive resulted in a turnover on downs. Six snap of the drive on a fourth and goal for the Bears at the Commander's one. Montez Sweat stuffed running back Khalil Herbert on an under center handoff run for no gain. The Bears' seventh offensive drive was their first offensive drive of the second half, resulted in quarterback Justin Fields' third quarter, second to nine, 40 yard under center touchdown bomb to receiver Dante Pettis. But the second snap of the drive, second to eight for the Bears at their aid. Montez Sweat pushed back left tackle Braxton Jones for a quarterback hit on a Justin Fields shotgun incompletion. Bears' eighth offensive drive resulted in a fourth quarter punt, the sixth snap of that drive. Third and one for the Bears at their 43. Montez Sweat abused left tackle Braxton Jones for a sack of Justin Fields for a 13-yard loss. Bears' ninth offensive drive resulted in a fourth-quarter turnover on downs. In the ninth snap of that drive, Montez Sweat, great job of keeping contained and tackling Amir Smith-Marset on a second-and-ten under-center handoff end-around run 
for a one-yard loss. I mean, really good stuff from Montez Sweat these last two games. Edge defender F.A. Obata on Thursday night was good again. He finished with a sack, three quarterback hits, and a pass defense. Uh, we had interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen having another good game. He finished with a sack, an interception, and a forced fumble. And speaking of Jonathan Allen and F.A. Obata, how about what happened with that interception? Their second offensive drive, the 12th snap of the drive. You talk about bending, but not breaking. I mean, the Bears were moving the ball on a second and goal for the Bears at the Commander's 5. Jonathan Allen intercepted a Justin Field shotgun pass that ricocheted high into the air thanks to going off the helmet of F.A. Obata. That's using your head, F.A. Uh, great to see that happen. Hey, sometimes, you know, better to be lucky than good, I guess. Uh, we continued to see interior defensive lineman Deron Payne kill it in this contract season for him. He finished with a sack and two quarterback hits. Bears' first offensive drive was the first offensive drive of the game, resulted in a first quarter punt, the seventh snap of the drive. Deron Payne, a third and 19 sack of Justin Fields for a nine-yard loss. Payne, Jonathan Allen, and edge defender Casey Tuhill. Excellent job on this play of rushing with discipline and keeping Fields in the pocket. And edge defender James Smith-Williams had a key pass defense and a key quarterback hit in succession on Thursday night. Uh, that final Bears offensive drive, the one that resulted in the late fourth quarter turnover on downs. Sixth snap of the drive, second and goal at the four. James Smith-Williams, a pass deflection on adjusted fields incompletion. Seventh snap of the drive on a third and goal at the four. James Smith-Williams, a quarterback hit on adjusted field shotgun incompletion on an end zone pass that receiver Dante Pettis uh, failed to catch and getting tangled up with safety Derek Forrest. So really good stuff from the commander's defensive line once again. There were things to not like with the commander's defense on Thursday night. Let's make that clear. Uh, the commander's defense committed some really bad penalties. Uh, that Bears' first offensive drive did result in a first quarter punt, but the fourth snap of the drive, Jonathan Allen, a second and nine, five-yard holding penalty. Bears' third offensive drive did result in a turnover on downs, but the second snap of that drive on a first and goal for the Bears at the commander's six. The commanders inexplicably had 12 players on the field in committing a three-yard, too-many-men-on-field penalty. And then on the Bears' seventh offensive drive, the one that resulted in the Justin Fields touchdown bomb to Dante Pettis, uh, that touchdown bomb came on a free play as the Commanders again had 12 men on the field for a too-many-men-on-field penalty. And uh, you ended up getting the Commanders down 7-3 off the ensuing extra point. I mean, how about that? This is week six, and we in this game had two instances of the commanders having 12 men on the field and being guilty of a too many men on field penalty. Here was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference late night on Thursday night on his team twice in the game being guilty of a too many men on field penalty. Yeah, that, that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. Now, one of them, you know, I tried to get the timeout. They substituted late and I was trying to get that straight. But, but, but the second one, that where, where they took the shot, that, that's unacceptable. I mean, that, 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 that will get correct. That will not, that will be addressed. I'll tie to that. I'm pissed off about that one. Oh, good. I was glad to hear Ron Rivera be mad about that. I mean, that was a joke. The commanders twice in the game being guilty of a too many men on field penalty. Uh, also, the Bears' ninth offensive drive resulted in a fourth quarter turnover on downs. The third snap of the drive, third and five for the Bears at their 30. I know I just praised them, but Benjamin St. Juice, a five-yard illegal use of hands penalty that negated a sack 
by Jonathan Allen. Uh, also, the Commanders allowed Justin Fields to have 12 carries for 88 yards. The Commanders had a very hard time with Justin Fields, the runner. Uh, Bears' first offensive drive did result in a first quarter punt, but the first snap of the drive, Montez Sweat and Jonathan Allen failed on attempted sacks at Justin Fields on a first and 10 eight-yard shotgun scramble, but nothing was worse than what happened on that final Bears offensive drive. Thankfully resulted in a late fourth quarter turnover on downs, but you had on the fourth snap of the drive, first and 10 for the Bears at the Commander's 44 safety. Bobby McCain, a terrible missed tackle out of Justin Fields' 39-yard shotgun scramble. Here was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference late night on Thursday night on that play. Well, everything was fine until we let the kids scramble for 40 yards. I mean, that, that's that's the heartbreaker. I mean, you know, you, you, you've got them contained. You, you know, you have a chance. You sack them on the first play. Um, you know, they, they convert on their third down. And, you know, now you got them a little confused, and he pulls the ball down and runs. I mean, that's, that, that, that's you know, that, that's, that's, that's undisciplined. I mean, that, that, that's, that, that's where you get angry because, again, we had a chance to keep him we had done a pretty pretty good job with a lot of the rush lanes, and for whatever reason, we, we, we got a little undisciplined at the end, and it cost us. They got the ball down to the five-yard line. Yeah, and speaking of struggling to stop the run, the commanders on Thursday night allowed running backs Khalil Herbert and David Montgomery to combine for 22 carries for 142 yards. Herbert went to Virginia Tech, as I'm sure many of you listening know. How about the 64-yard run? that he had as the commanders in this game gave up multiple more explosives. Uh, the Bears' third offensive drive resulted in a turnover on downs, but the first snap of that drive, Khalil Herbert, a first and 10, 64-yard under center toss run on which he busted through an attempted tackle by linebacker Jamin Davis and then made the juice, Benjamin St. Juice, miss on an attempted tackle. You know, I mentioned Jamin Davis. He had a spotty game. Uh, look at the Bears' sixth offensive drive resulted in the end of the first half. Third snap of the drive, Jamin Davis whiffed in an attempted sack of Justin Fields on a third and six, 11-yard shotgun scramble. But the fifth snap of the drive, next to last snap of the second quarter, Jamin Davis did blast Justin Fields on what was a second and 10, 15-yard shotgun completion to receiver Dante Pettis. So yeah, I mean, some things to not like about the defense. But I tell you what, overall, I do think that the commander's defense has been significantly better since really struggling in that loss at the Detroit Lions in week two. The commander's defense to me in each of the team's last four games has played well enough to win. And the commanders on Thursday night did win, <laughs> even though I know it doesn't necessarily feel like the commanders won. All right, up next, I get to it. The massive ESPN report from Thursday morning on the Danny, Dan Snyder. I have a lot to say. I'll say it next. Well, as you surely know, internet security and privacy are major issues. Uh, you perhaps have heard of VPN, which stands for Virtual Private Network. A VPN is a service that protects your internet connection and privacy online. I want to tell you about Nord. VPN. NordVPN keeps your internet connection safe and private and allows you to access region-locked content. With NordVPN, you can safely stream sports, television shows, and movies wherever you travel in the world. NordVPN is one of the most user-friendly 
VPN services on the market so you can easily set it up on your smart TV or Apple TV and enjoy watching games with your friends and family. NordVPN shields your data from snoops and criminals, protects you on public Wi-Fi connections, and allows you to secure up to six devices on one account. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so that you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. And NordVPN has a threat protection feature that'll mean that you no longer have to worry about intrusive website ads and malware. In fact, even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes the file before it makes a mess of your computer. Go to nordvpn.com slash algaldi to get your subscription started. You can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan and get a free month. That's nordvpn.com slash algaldi. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. That's nordvpn.com slash algaldi. nordvpn.com slash algaldi. Well, one day, somehow, some way, it will only be about football with our football team. Uh, I so look forward to that day. I so hope that you and I are still talking when that day comes, but I have no idea when or even if that day will come. All I know is this, that day, (laughs) that day is not today. Uh, ESPN on Thursday morning, hours before the Commanders game at the Chicago Bears on Thursday Night Football, came out with an explosive piece regarding Commanders co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder. Uh, The piece was written by ESPN senior writers Seth Wickersham, Don Van Notta Jr., and Tisha Thompson. Uh, If you know your roster of ESPN writers, you know that those are three heavy hitters. Uh, Those are not three lightweights. The headline of the piece, quote, sources Commander's Boss Snyder claims dirt on NFL owners, comma, Goodell, end quote. There is a lot, and I mean a lot, in the piece. Uh, The piece, in a lot of ways, is overwhelming with how much is in it. What I'd like to do right now is go through what are, to me, the five biggest items in the piece. Uh, Those items are, one, the piece makes it clear that the NFL wants Dan Snyder out as commander's owner. Two, the piece says that Dan Snyder has dug up dirt on other NFL owners and on NFL commissioner Roger Goodell. Three, the piece says that paying for a new commander stadium could be a means of ousting Dan Snyder as commander's owner. Four, the piece paints commander's team president Jason Wright as a potential figurehead. And five, the piece says that Dan Snyder played a major role, maybe even the entirety of the role, in the commander's trading for quarterback Carson Wentz this past March. Uh, There are like 15 other items that I could list, but uh, we'd be here all day. So let's focus on those five items. By the way, the commanders deny everything. Uh, There is a lengthy statement from the commanders refuting basically the entire report from ESPN. Look, I am all for pointing out fake news regarding our team. I have done that many times in the past. I would just tell you this. If this ESPN report is fake news, then Dan Snyder should file a defamation suit against ESPN. Simple as that. The proof will be if Dan files a lawsuit. We all know that Dan is ultra litigious. He's not afraid of suing people. Let's see if he sues ESPN. He sued that media company based in India for defamation based on those wild rumors about him and his team in July 2020. But you know, Dan has never sued the Washington Post despite its many reports about him and the team. And I do think that that's rather telling. Let's see if Dan sues ESPN. All right, item number one, 
The ESPN piece makes it clear that the NFL wants Dan Snyder out as commander's owner. One veteran NFL owner is quoted in the piece as saying, quote, all the owners hate Dan, end quote. Uh, Now, there are a lot of anonymous quotes, and there is a lot of anonymous sourcing in this report. That is a flaw of the report, although, I mean, that is how journalism, unfortunately, has to work sometimes. Like, you're not always going to get people to go on the record. Just because there are a lot of anonymous quotes and there is a lot of anonymous sourcing doesn't mean that it's all made up, okay? But yeah, I mean, I understand the thing of like, hey, how come people aren't putting their names to these quotes and these thoughts? Ideally, people would be doing that, but for a lot of different reasons, you're not always going to get that. But how about that? One veteran NFL owner quoted in the piece as saying, quote, all the owners hate Dan, end quote. Also, the piece includes the following, quote, many owners and top league executives tell ESPN they would like to see Snyder removed as owner. It would clean the slate for a story team and to cherish fan base and reignite the pursuit for a desperately needed stadium, end quote. You know, out of all of the things in this ESPN report, you could argue that nothing matters more than this item, that the NFL does in fact want Dan out as commander's owner. We have wondered for so long, how and why is it that Dan has remained as owner of the team? Maybe the league doesn't want Dan out as owner of the team for whatever reason. Well, according to this report, people want Dan out. Now, do enough people want Dan out? Hard to say. But the piece certainly makes it sound like plenty of key people want Dan out. The piece also paints a picture of a relationship between Dan and maybe the most powerful owner in the NFL, Dallas Cowboys owner, president, and general manager Jerry Jones. Uh, That is limited and maybe even fake. Uh, How about this? Quote, Jerry Jones recently told confidants that he might not be able to protect Snyder any longer. Snyder has also bad-mouthed Jones, telling an owner recently he's only out to get in your pocket. He'll sell you down the river. You can't trust him, a senior executive close to the owner said. Snyder's already lost Jerry, the source added. End quote. Uh, By the way, this contention from ESPN does help to explain that photo, right, that Dan posed for with Jerry and others prior to the commander's loss at the Dallas Cowboys in week four. We have wondered about that photo and the motivation for that photo and why Dan all of a sudden was so out in the open in being at that game and palling around with Jerry. Well, I think that we now know why Dan was trying to send a message of, hey, I still have Jerry on my side. Uh, We this year now have had multiple reports indicating that the NFL, i.e. other NFL owners, who always, remember, are the people who truly run the NFL, are souring on Dan Snyder. Uh, NFL columnist Jared Bell of USA Today Sports, he this past May 21st reported that Dan Snyder was in trouble as an NFL owner. Bell reported that some NFL owners were frustrated with Dan and might support an ouster of him, forcing him to sell the commanders. Bell reported that Dan was, quote, very much on the minds of some fellow NFL owners who would go as far as trying to force Snyder from their ranks, end quote. Bell quoted one NFL owner as having said, quote, we are counting votes, end quote. Uh, So we had the USA Today Sports report on May 21st. We then had the Washington Post last month, September 24th, coming out with a report saying that NFL owners' attitudes toward Dan Snyder were hardening. Uh, According to the report, multiple NFL owners believe that, quote, serious consideration may be given to attempting to oust Snyder 
from the league's ownership ranks, either by convincing him to sell his franchise or by voting to remove him. End quote. So, USA Today Sports in May, Washington Post in September, now ESPN in October. A lot of chum in the water regarding the NFL potentially ousting Dan. And I know what a lot of you are thinking. Hey, Goldie, we have heard all of this before. If the NFL was going to get rid of Dan, the league would have done so already. Well, yes and no. You know, these things do take time. You don't just wake up one day, decide that you want Dan out, and then later that day, he's out. These things take time, far more time than we want. These things are complicated. Uh, You know, attitudes change. I mean, take a listen to this key line in this ESPN report. Quote, Snyder's fate rests in the owner's hands, and despite their anger toward him, they are apprehensive to remove a fellow owner. They tend to move slowly on any initiative not intended to turn an instant profit And quote, yeah, you know, to get these billionaire people to get a move on things uh, can be a process, no doubt. Uh, It is far from a given that Dan Snyder is going to be ousted as commander's owner. Uh, It is far from a given that Dan is going to be overthrown. It is far from a given that the coup of the Danny is going to take place. I get that. I think that we all get that. But I have always been open to that eventually happening. You know, there may well be a momentum building. We certainly have had more rumblings this year than ever before. I mean, that's undeniable at this point. Item number two, the ESPN piece says that Dan Snyder has dug up dirt on other NFL owners and on NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. You know, for years, people have wondered why the NFL has put up with Dan Snyder and allowed him to remain as owner of the team. And the theory that has been out there for years is that the league fears what Dan would do if the league tried to oust Dan, i.e. that Dan would leak things, that Dan would sue people. The NFL fears Dan going scorched earth. Well, this report from ESPN confirms this theory, reads the piece, quote, according to more than 30 Owners, league and team executives, lawyers, and current and former commanders employees interviewed by ESPN, the fear of reprisal that Snyder has instilled in his franchise, poisoning it on the field and off, has expanded to some of his fellow owners. Multiple owners and league and team sources say they've been told that Snyder instructed his law firms to hire private investigators to look into other owners and Goodell. League sources say the NFL is aware that Snyder has claimed to be tracking owners, but none of the owners or sources would reveal how they learned of Snyder's alleged effort to use private investigators. It's also unclear how many owners are said to have been targeted, though sources say they believe it's at least six. One owner was told by Snyder directly that he has dirt on Jerry Jones, a team source told ESPN, though the nature of the information was unclear. Another source confirmed that Snyder has told a confidant that he has a file on Jones, the Dallas Cowboys owner who has served as Snyder's friend, mentor, and longtime firewall of support. End quote. Man, oh man, a file on Jera for Danny. Uh, we later in the piece have this, quote, most sources declined to go on the record for this story. Goodell has warned owners that they could be fined millions of dollars for leaking to reporters. Snyder thinks he has enough on all of them says a former longtime senior commander's executive. He thinks he's got stuff on Roger. 
another former commander's executive, routinely called Snyder the most powerful owner in the NFL because of what he knows, a source says. Several owners say they see the threats about damaging dossiers as a desperate tactic intended to scare owners from voting to remove Snyder. He's backed into a corner, says a veteran owner who says he's aware Snyder has gathered dirt on some owners. He's behaving like a mad dog cornered, end quote. Well, if you know your Dan Snyder history, uh, you know that he has been accused of digging up dirt on people before. Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform this past June 22nd, just hours before the 11 a.m. Eastern start of a congressional hearing in the commander's workplace misconduct scandal, released as the committee called it, quote, new evidence uncovered by the committee that sheds light on team owner Dan Snyder's role in creating a hostile work environment at the commanders and his efforts to discredit victims and witnesses by launching a shadow investigation to influence the NFL's internal investigation into workplace misconduct at the team. And quote, the committee obtained evidence that the committee said showed, quote, Dan Snyder launched a shadow investigation to discredit his accusers in the eyes of the NFL, end quote. The committee said that, quote, lawyers for Mr. Snyder used their shadow investigation to create a 100-slide dossier with private emails, text messages, telephone records, and social media posts from journalists, victims, and witnesses who had made credible public accusations of harassment against the commanders. End quote. The committee also said that during the Beth Wilkinson investigation, quote, Mr. Snyder and his lawyers sent private investigators to the homes of former cheerleaders, offered hush money to try to dissuade them from cooperating with the investigation, and gathered thousands of emails from former Commander's President Bruce Allen in an effort to demonstrate that Bruce Allen had created a toxic environment at the Washington Commander's. End quote. Digging up dirt on people is apparently Danny Boy's move. Uh, that apparently is his thing. And this has come up again, this time for ESPN, with him digging up dirt on other NFL owners and on Roger Goodell. I mean, you cannot make this stuff up. Uh, item number three, the ESPN piece says that paying for a new commander stadium could be a means of ousting Dan Snyder as commander's owner. So as you surely know, the saga that is this commander's quest for a new stadium has gone on and on and on. Uh, I, on Thursday morning, tweeted about this ESPN report. And part of what I tweeted was that the NFL ultimately can out-gangsta Dan Snyder. And that is true. You know, Dan is trying to be all gangsta with his tactics and all of this, including, yes, digging up dirt on other NFL owners and on Roger Goodell. But whether you like how the NFL operates or not, make no mistake, ain't no entity in sports that's more gangsta, that's more mafia than the NFL. In fact, we very early in the ESPN piece have Dan Snyder calling the NFL the mafia. Quote, the NFL is a mafia, he recently told an associate. All the owners hate each other, end quote. Hey, maybe Dan listens to this podcast. Who knows? Anyway, reads the piece, quote, Owners know that Snyder likely can't build a stadium without significant financial help, even if he were to sell ownership stakes in the team, essentially making a cash call on a team valued by Forbes to be the NFL's sixth highest at $5.6 billion. 
Snyder would still likely fall short. There are league rules in place limiting how much debt owners can carry, but owners have approached debt limit waivers for new stadiums, often making up rules as they go. A few owners and executives have discussed a rarely enacted option, refusing to let Snyder bypass league rules on how much debt an owner can hold and possibly withholding the $200 million loan normally available to teams for new stadiums. They say their hope would be to force Snyder into either selling the team or more likely transferring ownership permanently to Tanya. They point out that Donald Sterling was forced out of LA Clippers ownership after his racist comments in 2014, not by Commissioner Adam Silver or by his fellow owners, but because his wife removed him as a member of the family trust. The league's only real tool is to starve him from the funds to build a stadium, a team president says. If owners wanted to trip up Snyder on his debt, a vote they took in March 2021 could give them cover, multiple executive and ownership sources say. Owners allowed Snyder to borrow $450 million to buy out his limited partners, some of whom he was feuding with in court. That vote, sources say, could be used to deny Snyder a new waiver and as a backdoor way to force a vote that might garner 24 votes more easily and faster than a removal from ownership. It's easier for owners to express concerns over Snyder's finances than other issues, sources say. It all comes down to a vote, the executive says, and there are no rules they have to follow. Problem is, there are no rules Snyder has to follow either. End quote. So that is a rather intricate plan, but if you follow the plan step by step, the plan does make sense. And no doubt, that is a gangster plan on the part of the NFL to oust Dan Snyder. It's funny reading that, though, right? Because, and this was mentioned in that passage, the NFL just last year helped Dan Snyder buy out his three disgruntled minority partners. Dan Snyder ultimately bought out Dwight Shore, Robert Rothman, and Fred Smith in a transaction that was completed on April 2nd, 2021, Dan bought out Shaw Rothman and Smith at a reported $875 million with that reported $450 million debt waiver for which the NFL's finance committee had made a special exemption. And that was really something because if you go back to that time, while we were still awaiting the findings of the Beth Wilkinson investigation into Washington's workplace misconduct scandal and what would happen to Dan because of those findings, not only was he not removed as majority owner, he was further empowered by being allowed to become more of a majority owner. Item number four, uh, the ESPN piece paints Commander's team president Jason Wright as a potential figurehead. Uh, This was interesting. Reads the piece, quote, Wright was supposed to be in charge of the stadium initiative, but after Snyder was punished by Goodell, talking about the punishment from the findings of the Beth Wilkinson investigation, he, as in Snyder, announced he would lead all stadium efforts, confusing local lawmakers who didn't know whom they should be talking to. Before he left the team last month for an executive position in private equity, Greg Resch, the commander's former COO and a vital member of Snyder's inner circle, told executives at league meetings that he was in charge and dismissed Wright as a figurehead. In the team statement, Resch denied making any such comments. Wright's influence was also in question during the DEA investigation into whether Washington's head trainer, Ryan Vermillion, was illegally dispensing narcotics, known around the team as the Forgotten investigation. Sources say Wright and Chief People Officer Andre Chambers wanted to remove Vermillion 
in early 2021, months before the DEA raided Vermillion's home and the commander's facility, when then-head team physician Robin West alleged that he was being verbally abusive toward her and other staff. But when they raised Vermillion's behavior with head coach Ron Rivera, he refused to fire the trainer, making clear it was his call alone. Snyder, desperate for stability, had given Rivera power over all football operations when he was hired in 2020. Our hands are tied, Wright told people in the organization. A team spokesperson denied that Wright made that statement. In August, Vermillion, who declined comment to ESPN through his attorney, entered into a deferred prosecution agreement after he was accused of unlawfully acquiring and dispensing oxycodone. Only then did Rivera terminate Vermillion, calling the situation unfortunate. Wright has privately told associates he feels he can't enact serious cultural change until the ownership situation is resolved. Executives around the league believe that Wright has hired good people in Washington only to watch them leave for the same reasons they always seem to leave, the culture. Vice President of Corporate Communications Ashley Whitlock and Senior Vice President of External Affairs and Communications Julie Andrew Jensen, two of the team's most visible women employees, have left the team within the past year, end quote. Uh, By the way, that stuff on Robin West and Ryan Vermillion, I talked about that on this podcast last year. West and Vermillion did not get along. Uh, West was tight with Alex Smith during his time as a Washington quarterback. Alex did not trust Vermillion. That was a big part of the divide between Alex and Ron Rivera. But yeah, you get a sense from that portion of the report that uh, Jason Wright has been dealing with all kinds of stuff. And, you know, think about this too. I mean, is it possible that Jason was a source for this piece? Is it possible that Ron Rivera was a source for this piece? You know, think about that. Uh, And that brings us to item number five. The ESPN piece says that Dan Snyder played a major role in the commanders trading for quarterback Carson Wentz this past March. From a football standpoint, This was by far the most relevant item in the report, and this was a brutal item in the report because this, of course, takes you right back to Dan Snyder doing as he has done so many times during his tenure as Washington owner, meddling in football operations. And this is especially painful this time because Ron Rivera is supposed to be the head coach in this coach-centric approach, and Ron's supposed to be presiding over football operations, and instead... It may all be a bunch of garbage, Uh, but reads the piece, quote, current and former team executives say Snyder is still far more involved running the club than most realize, imploring football decision makers last March to trade for quarterback Carson Wentz, despite a deal he made with Goodell in July 2021, when he also was fined $10 million to give up day-to-day management to his wife, Tanya. End quote. Now, I will quibble with that passage in this way. The deal between Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell in July 2021 off the releasing of the findings of the Beth Wilkinson investigation was never presented as Dan permanently giving up day-to-day management of the team. This has been misrepresented by people in the media for some reason. What was presented was a temporary giving up of those duties. I don't get this thing that people keep doing of harping on whether Dan's back to being involved. It was never said that Dan was being permanently removed from day-to-day management. July 2nd, 2021, 
a ramification announced by both the NFL in a statement and by Dan Snyder in a separate statement was that Tanya Snyder, who had been named co-CEO just two days earlier, was assuming responsibilities of a CEO and overseeing all day-to-day team operations and representation of the club on all league activities, and that Dan, as he said in his statement, would be concentrating his time, quote, during the next several months on developing a new stadium plan and other matters, end quote. I don't know about you, I never took that as like a permanent change that Dan would no longer be handling day-to-day management of the team. I obviously hoped that that might be the case, but it was never presented that Dan was permanently out from day-to-day operations of the team. All right, back to the ESPN report. Later in the piece, quote, sources familiar with the deal say that it was Snyder who pushed for Wentz, and commander's football staffers have told people around the league as much. It was 100% a Dan move, says a source with knowledge of the inner workings of the deal, end quote. Now, Ron Rivera, in a statement that came out on Thursday, said the following, quote, prior to the start of free agency, I went to Dan and Tanya's home and told them Carson Wentz was one of the quarterbacks at the top of our list. And as always, the Snyders were supportive of our vision for building this roster, end quote. But isn't it interesting that the ESPN report says that commanders, football staffers have told people around the league that Dan Snyder pushed for the trade of Carson Wentz. Who might that be? Could that be Ron Rivera? Maybe it's not Ron, you know? Maybe it's, I don't know, offensive coordinator Scott Turner or quarterbacks coach Ken Zampese. I mean, who the heck knows, right? But isn't that interesting? Commanders, football staffers have told people around the league that Dan Snyder pushed for Carson Wentz. Now, that statement from Ron that came out on Thursday, that may well be a non-denial denial by him. What we need to know is this. Did Ron want Carson Wentz and Dan also wanted Carson Wentz? Or did Ron not want Carson Wentz, but Dan wanted Carson Wentz, and thus Dan ordered Ron to trade for Carson Wentz? Big difference between those two scenarios, but the ESPN report does say, quote, sources familiar with the deal say that it was Snyder who pushed for Wentz, and commanders football staffers have told people around the league as much. It was 100% a Dan move, says a source, with knowledge of the inner workings of the deal, end quote. And if Carson Wentz was forced on Ron Rivera, then that, of course, changes the calculus here, right? That, of course, alters how you look at the job that Ron is doing as head coach in the coach-centric approach, because it turns out that this isn't a coach-centric approach. It turns out that this is an owner-centric approach, and we've all been duped once again. So yeah, a lot to digest, a lot to ponder. The insanity with our football team never ends. Uh, Oh, by the way, this Tuesday and Wednesday, October 18th and 19th, we have the fall league meeting in New York City. What might that bring with this Dan Snyder situation? Up next, I talk college football, Goldilocks, my previews and picks against the spreads for games on Saturday for Maryland, Navy, Virginia Tech, and a new addition to the Goldilocks crew, James Madison. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's now get to college football. Let's now get to Goldilocks, my previews and picks against the spreads for games played by Maryland, Navy, Virginia Tech, Virginia, and now James Madison. Welcome aboard to the Dukes. Uh, The Dukes are ranked, and you get ranked, you get welcomed into Goldilocks. Uh, For the first time in school history, JMU is in the Associated Press Top 25. Yes, James Madison is is top 25 in the country. Uh, The latest rankings came out this past Sunday. And James Madison, number 25 team in the country in the latest AP poll. Uh, Goldilocks for week six of the 2022 college football season, just one and three. I am having a very high variance season, although there have been too many lows as opposed to the highs. Uh, The record for this season now, a not so good nine and 14. Uh, no game for Virginia this week. The Cavaliers fell to 2-4 and four overall and 0-3 and in the ACC with a 34-17 loss to Louisville at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville, Virginia last Saturday afternoon in the Wahoos homecoming game. Uh, next up for UVA at Georgia Tech this Thursday night. So here we go. Goldilocks for week seven of the 2022 college football season. All point spreads are from WinBet and are as of very early Friday morning. Goldilocks game number one, Maryland at Indiana, Saturday afternoon at 3.30. The Terrapins are minus 11 and a half. Maryland fell to 4-2 overall and 1-2 in the Big Ten with a 31-29 loss to Purdue at CQ Stadium in College Park, Maryland last Saturday afternoon. You know, we had reverse line movement for this game that suggested sharp money on Purdue, and Purdue ended up being the right play. The Terps blew a 23-17 fourth quarter lead, allowed Purdue to score two touchdowns in a two-minute span with less than three and a half minutes left 
in the fourth quarter. Now, Terps quarterback Talia Tungavailoa did have another good game, 26 of 38 for 315 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. He took three sacks. He also, though, had a first quarter second and two nine yard pistol read option touchdown run. Uh, Talia set a new school record for most career 300 yard passing games with 11. Uh, Talia through week six, number 28 among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS and ESPN's total QBR for this season, 75.3 QBR is on a scale of 0 to 100. The Terps through week six, number 24 in the FBS and overall team efficiency per ESPN for this season. Uh, Indiana was 81st. Uh, the Hoosiers are 3-3. Three and three. They've lost three consecutive games since a 3-0 and do start. The three losses, 45-24 at Cincinnati on September 24th, 35-21 at Nebraska on October 1st, and a 31-10 home loss to then number four Michigan last Saturday. IU has been one of the worst Power 5 conference teams in the FBS in terms of offense this season. Give me the Terps in a bounce back spot, minus the 11 and the hook. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Yes, thank you, Snoop Dogg. Goldilocks game number two, number 25, James Madison at Georgia Southern, Saturday afternoon at four. The Dukes are minus 11 and a half. They improved to 5-0 and overall and 3-0 and in the Sunbelt Conference with a 42-20 win at the Arkansas State Red Wolves last Saturday night. Uh, JMU totaled 598 total net yards of offense, averaged 7.5 Yards per play, quarterback Todd Centeo, 28 of 37 for 394 yards, four touchdowns and no interceptions. He took no sacks. He had four carries for 10 yards. Centeo is having some season. He threw week six, number 13 among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR for this season, 80.7. James Madison through week six was number 13 in the FBS and overall team efficiency per ESPN for this season. NJMU through week six was number one. Yes, number one in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN for this season. That really is something that James Madison is the number one defensive team in the country this season if you go by the efficiency stat of ESPN. Uh, the Eagles of Georgia Southern are 3-3. Three and three. They have been one of the worst defensive teams in the FBS. Georgia Southern through week six was 123rd in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN for this season. You do wonder if at some point we're going to get a letdown performance by James Madison, but uh, the Dukes have been rolling so far this season, and so give me James Madison minus 11 and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. game number three, Virginia Tech home to Miami Saturday afternoon at 1230. The Hokies are plus seven. This is their homecoming game. Uh, but boy, the Hokies are having a rough season. Tech fell to two and four overall and one and two in the ACC with a 45-29 loss at Pitt last Saturday. Uh, the Hokies led in the second quarter 16-7. They then lost the rest of the game 38-13, Tech got destroyed by Pitt running back Israel Abanacanda, who had 36 carries for 320 yards and six touchdowns. Israel Abanacanda against Virginia Tech last Saturday had a season in a game. 36 carries for 320 yards and six touchdowns. He averaged 8.89 
yards per carry. His 320 rushing yards, a new hit single game record, broke the mark of 303 rushing yards that was set by running back Tony Dorsett in 1975. Uh, Tech quarterback, the Marshall transfer, Grant Wells, another underwhelming game, although Hokies head coach Brent Pry during his postgame press conference did say that Wells, quote, played his most confident game, end quote, but Wells in the game completed just 25 of his 47 pass attempts. He, over those 47 pass attempts, threw for just 277 yards. He had one touchdown pass versus one interception. He took three sacks. He quarterbacked a Hokies offense that went just 4 of 16 on third downs. Grant Wells, through week six, was number 89 among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR for this season, 50.7. A bright spot for the Hokies in their loss at Pitt on Saturday was their running game. Uh, running back Malachi Thomas did make his 2022 season debut off having missed Tech's first five games of the season due to injury. He had 15 carries for 84 yards and a touchdown. That was good. Uh, running back Keyshawn King, five carries for 26 yards and a touchdown. But the Hokies through week six, just 106th in the FBS in offensive efficiency per ESPN for this season. The Miami Hurricanes are just two and three, three straight losses since a two and doe start. The latest loss, a 27-24 home loss to North Carolina last Saturday. Hurricanes quarterback Tyler Van Dyke has not had the success this season that he had last season. Uh, he did have a big game against North Carolina, but Carolina's defense is terrible. Everyone, uh, well, everyone except the Hokies, uh, has had their way with the Carolina defense this season. Uh, this game, Virginia Tech-Miami, this is your classic, like, meh ACC game. I just cannot trust the Hokies. Give me Miami minus seven. Make money, money, make money, money, money. And Goldilocks game number four, Navy at SMU Friday night at 7.30. The midshipmen are plus 12 and a half. Navy's offense busted out big time last Saturday. The mids improved to two and three overall and two and one in the American Athletic Conference with a 53-21 win over Tulsa, Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis, Maryland. You know, the mids during their 1-3 and three start to this season scored a total of just 53 points, and six of the points were overtime points. The mids in this game scored 53 points. So Navy in this game scored as many points as Navy had scored the entire season up until this game. And the biggest reason for that, Navy's rushing offense, which was dominant in a game for the first time this season. Like, this was what we had been waiting to see from Navy's offense this season. Uh, the mids in this 53-21 win over Tulsa last Saturday, 69 carries, 455 yards, and five touchdowns. The mids averaged 6.59 yards per carry, won the time of possession battle by 20 minutes, 52 seconds. One despite quarterback Ty Lovatai really not having that great of a game. One of six passing for nine yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. He had just six carries for 12 yards. He didn't get sacks, so it's not like lost yardage on sacks damaged his rushing yardage total. And yet, Navy did as it did offensively. Navy's defense was good. Uh, the midshipmen in this game generated four turnovers, three interceptions, and a fumble recovery. Generated a safety, two, held Tulsa to just three of 10 on third downs. Did give some stuff up to Tulsa quarterback Davis Brin. He did average 9.16 yards per pass attempted at two touchdown passes. But overall, a lot to like with the performance of Navy in this win over Tulsa. Uh, the Mustangs of SMU, uh, they are two and three, three consecutive losses since a two and do start. One of those losses, a 34-17 loss at Maryland 
on September 17th. SMU's defense isn't very good. The Mustangs, during their three-game losing streak, have allowed a total of 117 points. The big question with this game is, is Navy's offense truly back, or was that performance against Tulsa a uh, momentary surge. Uh, Tulsa has been brutal defensively this season. The public is pretty heavily on Navy. We have had, though, reverse line movement with this game. Navy early in the week was plus 10.5 in multiple shops. Now is at plus 12.5, despite the public being heavily on the mids. The Sharps, like SMU, I do too. Give me the Mustangs, minus 12.5. Make money, money, make money, money, money. All right, Snoop. So to review, Maryland minus 11 and a half. James Madison minus 11 and a half. Miami minus seven. And SMU minus 12 and a half. Yes, we are laying some lumber. Your Goldilocks for week seven of the 2022 college football season. And also on Saturday, Liberty, home to Gardner-Webb, Saturday afternoon at 3.30. And before we call it a show, some thoughts on the Capitals. Uh, They like the Commanders played on Thursday night, but the Caps, unlike the Commanders, lost on Thursday night. Uh, The Caps fell to 0-2-0, a 3-2 loss at the Toronto Maple Leafs on Thursday night. Caps blew a 2-1 second period lead. We're facing former Caps goaltender Ilya Samsonov, who was making his Maple Leafs regular season debut. And old Ilya, uh, he stopped 24 of the 26 shots on goal that he faced. What the heck was more of that when Ilya was in net for the Caps? Uh, the Caps goaltender was backup Charlie Lindgren as the Caps were playing the second game of a back-to-back. So Darcy Kemper was not the Caps starting goaltender on Thursday night. Charlie Lindgren was. He stopped 36 of the 39 shots on goal that he faced. The Caps have looked off over their first two games of the regular season. Caps on Thursday night, just 2-3 of three on the penalty kill. Uh, that was the case in the Caps' first game, the 5-2 loss to the Boston Bruins at Capital One Arena on Wednesday night. Uh, the Caps on Thursday night, 0-5 on the power play. The power play was not good for the Caps on Thursday night. You know, the puck possession battle for the game was about even, but the Caps finished with just 26 shots on goal to the Maple Leafs, 39, and a big part of that was the power play. The Caps, in five-on-four power play play per natural stat trick, had zero high-danger shot attempts to the Maple Leafs, seven. Also, how about this? The Caps, in the first period, allowed 21 shots on goal. Welcome to the Caps, Charlie Lindgren. You were subjected to 21 shots on goal in the first period on Thursday night. Uh, Forward Alex Ovechkin, did have a game-high 14 total shot attempts and registered four hits, but uh, he was held pointless for a second time in as many games for the Caps in the regular season. Next up for the Caps, home to the Montreal Canadiens, Saturday night at 7. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 422. We'll have a lot more on the commanders who now are two and four, thanks to the glorious 12-7 win at the Chicago Bears on Thursday Night Football. Also on Monday show, I'll talk college football, Maryland at Indiana Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Number 25, James Madison at Georgia Southern Saturday afternoon at 4. Virginia Tech home to Miami Saturday afternoon at 12.30 in the Hokies homecoming game. Navy at SMU Friday night 
at 7.30, and Liberty home to Gardner-Webb Saturday afternoon at 3.30. And I, on Monday's show, will talk Capitals. Uh, They play on Saturday night home to the Montreal Canadiens at 7. Have a great rest of your Friday. Have a great Saturday and Sunday, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Everybody keeps wanting to say, I don't want anything to do with Carson. Well, I'm the guy that pulled out the sheets of paper, that looked at the analytics, that watched the tape in the freaking, when we were at Indianapolis, okay? And that's what pisses me off, because the young man doesn't deserve to have that all the time. I'm sorry, I'm done.